We live in this wonderful world, beautiful red roses, green trees, beautiful sunsets. But we also live in a world which there is something not right, a world which is broken, a world where there is suffering. We live in this wonderful world, but we also live in a suffering world. And I think that video just shows it so clearly. The bombing, the killing, innocent people being hurt in this beautiful, wonderful world that we live in. One of the things that unites us as humanity, that unites us all, is the fact that we all suffer. It doesn't matter where you live in the world. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man. It doesn't matter if you're young and old. It doesn't matter who you are. One of the things that unites us on a global level is suffering. We all suffer. Every single one of us, no matter who we are, we suffer. And all of us in the world, we have big questions about suffering. No matter what culture you go to, no matter what part of the world you go to, no matter what people group you talk to, everyone has big questions about suffering. And I think there are two big questions that, that most people ask about suffering. The first question is why? Why do we suffer? Why do we go through the things that we go through? Why is there suffering in our world? I think that is a question that everyone across the world asks. Why is there suffering? And the second question I think that people are asking is how are we meant to respond? Whenever we suffer as people, how are we actually meant to respond when we're going through suffering? What I want to do for the next 15 minutes or so is this. I want to first of all show you what people across the world, how they answer these questions. I want to kind of give you a global view of how people across the world answer these two questions. And then what I want to do is I want to take you into the Bible and help show you what God says about these two questions, what the Bible says about these two questions. So that's where we're trying to go tonight, all in 15 minutes. So ready, steady, let's have a go. So the questions are this, why do we suffer and how should we respond? The first thing we're going to look at is atheism's answer to these two questions. Atheism, if you're not familiar with it, it's the worldview that there is no God, that there's nothing outside the natural world. The only things that exist are what we can see and taste and touch, all of the things that we can feel and see with our senses, that is all there is. There's nothing outside of it. And if you were to ask an atheist who really believes this philosophy, why is there suffering in our world? The answer that they would come up with is that there just is. There just is suffering. It's natural, it's normal, it's, it's just part of the world that we live in. Suffering exists and that is all there is to it. If you ask an atheist, is there any purpose to suffering? They'd have to say no. They might say, well, you can make your own purpose out of it, but really there's no real purpose. There's no real meaning to it. It's just an accident. It's just luck. It's just fluke. It's just the way it is. Richard Dawkins writes a book called Out of Eden and it's looking at a Darwinian way of life. So it's looking at, looking at life from an, an evolutionary perspective like there is no God. And he says this about suffering. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. Suffering is just part of life. No purpose, no meaning, it just is. And one of the problems that an atheist worldview also gives us is that they don't really tell us how to deal with suffering. If you believe there's no purpose, if you believe there's no reason, if you believe it's just the way it is, how do you deal with suffering as an atheist? There is no answer to that. If you push someone who's an atheist, they might say, well, listen, you just do whatever you can to survive. Just do whatever you need to do to get through it. They don't give you any solid advice. They just say, do whatever you need to do to get through the suffering you're going through. Just do whatever you need to do. And sadly, one of the things that an, an atheistic worldview is pushing is 
um, euthanasia. You go to some countries now and they'll say, okay, you're very sick. You're going through suffering. Why don't we end your life now? That's where atheism takes us. Do whatever you can to deal with the suffering you're going through. And if you need to end your life, that's okay. Whatever it takes. That's the atheist viewpoint. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because this is a a viewpoint that even atheists find hard to to live with. Speak to any atheist, and and even though they might believe this, it's it's hard to live with this. It's hard not to believe that that something has gone wrong in our world. It's hard for them to believe that, that something good couldn't come out of their suffering. They might believe this, but it's hard for them to live it out. But there's other religions who who do give other reasons for suffering and other ways of dealing with it. And we're going to take you through those very quickly. The the first thing, the the first religion we're going to look at is Hinduism. Hindus are mainly based in India. They believe in a a lot of different gods. And they believe in reincarnation. So they believe that whenever you die, you come back again as another person. So if they looked at me, they would think that I have had multiple past lives. That I've lived before multiple, multiple times. And it just goes round in a cycle. And if you ask a a Hindu, why is there suffering in the world? They just have one very simple answer. It's payback. Suffering is payback. It's karma. It's balance, they might say. You see, what Hindu believes is that whenever someone is suffering, it's payback for things that they've done in a past life that were wrong. Or it's maybe things suffering for for something they've done wrong in the present life. But in a Hindu worldview, it's very simple. If you suffer, it's the gods paying you back for something bad that you've done. John Dickinson, he's an Australian writer, a very clear thinker. And he writes a book called, If I Were God, I'd End All the Pain. And he just helps us see the the Hindu worldview in action. And he says this, when a three-month When a three-month-year-old baby dies in a devout Hindu home, the members of the family sincerely believe the event to be an appropriate reaping in the present of evil actions sown by family members in the past, whether in this life or in a previous one. That's hard to live, isn't it? A three-month-old baby dies, and everyone in that house accepts it as being fine, because it's payback for something in a previous life. I was in India a number of years ago, an amazing country, amazing people, but there was something so sad that I saw, and it was a caste system. There's about seven levels of caste in India, and Brahmins are right at the top, they are the elite of society. They've all the wealth and all of the power, and everyone believes that they've got that wealth and power because of their previous life. They were good people. And so they keep that wealth and they keep that power and they pass it on to their family. But right at the very bottom of the food chain, you have a cast of people called the Dalits. They can't get work. Most of them are beggars. They're not given the same rights as everybody else. They're abused by the police. They're abused by the system. Their life is terrible. And what makes seeing these people so awful is that people don't want to help them. Because they believe that they deserve to be there for sins in a past life. Speak to a Hindu and suffering is payment for sin. And what's the solution in a Hindu world then for for suffering? The solution is moralism. The solution is to try to be a better person. It's to try to be good. So it's to, to try to be a good person even though you're suffering in the hope that you might get a better life in the next life to come. Be good, try to be better, try to be a good person and maybe in the next life you'll have a better chance at a good life. What about Buddhism then? Buddhism is another major world religion and and Buddhism, very interestingly, it came out of suffering. So Buddhism was actually developed to help people deal with suffering. And what they believe is that suffering is actually an illusion. It's not actually real. Suffering is a state of mind. Suffering is that we bring on ourselves for different reasons. And the main reason that we bring on suffering in ourselves from a Buddhist perspective is because we're too attached to things. 
Buddhism begins with the four noble truths. Here they are. Noble truth number one, suffering, pain, and misery exist in life. Okay, we can agree with that. Number two, suffering arises from attachment to desires. We'll think about that in a moment. And then the cure, suffering ceases when attachment to desire ceases. Okay? And then how do we get this detachment from desire? It's by following these things called the eight steps. Okay? But, but it's points two and three that are very interesting. I want you to imagine that my father had died and I was devastated by it. What Buddhism would say to me is, Marty, point number two, the reason that you're so suffering so much at the loss of your father is because you were too attached to him. He meant too much to you. You loved him too much. You cared about him too much. He was too big of a deal in your life. The reason why you're suffering is because you have that attachment to your father. So Marty, here's how you could have escaped that. It's by stopping being attached. Don't love him so much. Don't care about him so much. Don't think about him so much. Don't value him so much. Don't embrace him so much as being important to you. I don't know about you, but how does somebody live like that? I mean, it makes sense. If, if my father doesn't matter to me and he died, it wouldn't matter to me. If my son didn't matter to me very much and he died, it wouldn't bother me. It wouldn't cause me suffering. In theory, this makes sense, but in practice, it's complete nonsense, isn't it? How does someone live like this? They can't. And whenever you go and look at the eighth path fold of enlightenment, you'll see that the path to, to freedom from suffering is so complicated and so complex, no one ever finds it. There are very few people who are Buddhists who claim to be what they call enlightened, who have found the path that suffering doesn't affect them. In some ways, Buddhism, it makes sense a little bit, but not in real life. What about Islam then? What about suffering in the world of Islam? Well, basically in Islam, what they believe is that suffering is the direct will of their God, Allah. So in their mind, if someone is suffering, it is because Allah's finger, Allah himself, their God, has directed that suffering to be in that individual's life. That's what they believe. And again, they believe that, that their God does this for two main reasons. The first reason is as a test of their faith. It's to see how they're going to deal with their faith whenever they go through suffering. It's a test according to Islam. And if it's not a test, then the other answer is it's its punishment. You've done something wrong and their God is now punishing you. Here's a passage from the Quran which shows us this idea of a test. Verily, we shall put you to test with some fear. This is Allah speaking to, to Muhammad. Verily, we will put you to test with some fear and hunger and with some loss of wealth, lives and offspring. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill some of your offspring. We're going to kill some of your family. We're going to take away your wealth. We're going to put you in a place where you're hungry and starving. And O Muhammad, convey good tidings on those who are patient who say when inflicted by hardship, verily we are of God and verily to him we shall return. Upon them is the blessing of Allah and his mercy. Do you see the solution for suffering according to Islam? It's simply to grin and bear it. It's to be stoic. It's to have a stiff upper lip. I don't know if you know this, but the word Islam, that means submission. That's what the word means. It means submission. And in Islam, what you're to do is simply submit to the will of Allah. You're meant to say, that's fine. I just accept it. You're not allowed to question it. You're not allowed to be upset by it. You're simply to submit to the will of your God for you. No matter how painful and difficult that is to go through.
stoic. Just get on with it. Stiff upper lip. Just accept it. Don't question. Don't weep. Just accept it as the will of your God. And again, whenever you meet Muslim people, if you get to know them, they can't live like this. They, they struggle to live like this. To just say, okay, this is fine and not question it, they struggle with that. Don't weep, just accept it, they struggle with that. At a human level, Muslims find it very, very hard to embrace the solution that Islam gives to suffering. But what about the Bible? What does it say about suffering? Well, what does it say? Well, the first thing that the Bible does is it doesn't give a one-size-fits-all reason why. It doesn't say suffering is because of X. No, what the Bible does is it gives us lots of reasons why suffering might be the case. It never says this is definitely why it's happening, but it gives us lots and lots of different reasons as to why we might be suffering. So let's go through some of those. The first reason why we might be suffering is because we live in a broken world. At the beginning, when, when God made the world, it was good. Everything was good. There was no pain. There was no suffering. There was no sickness. There was no death. God looked at all that he had made, and it was very good. But after Adam and Eve sinned, after they rebelled against God, sin came into the world, and the result was that the world was broken. That the world was good, but the world was broken. Like the Vietnam movie clip. A wonderful world, but now a world which there is suffering in. We might be suffering simply because we're part of a broken world. When we're sick, part of a broken world. When there's an earthquake, part of a broken world. Whenever things go wrong and there's a tragic accident, it might be just because we're part of a broken world. That's one reason why we suffer. We might suffer simply because we live in this world that is so wonderful, but also broken. A second reason we might suffer is because we live in a world with sinful people in it. We live in a world with sinful people in it. Have you ever thought about why people do evil and wrong things? Why do they do the things they do that cause suffering? It's really interesting. Jesus gives us an answer. And he says, this stuff comes from within. It's not just that our world is broken, but people's insides are broken. They're stained with sin. Sin now lives in us. Adam first sinned, and then it's like from then on, we've always been infected. That disease that Adam got for the first time, we have all inherited. Jesus says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. The reason why we suffer sometimes is because of the sin of other people against us. In fact, I would think if you were to look at most of the suffering in our TV screens, most of the suffering we see on the news day in, day out, it's caused by this. It's caused by sinful people doing sinful things. A third reason we might suffer is because of Satan, because of his attacks against us. Satan was a fallen angel. He rebelled against God. And the word Satan, it means adversary. It's someone who is against God. Now, interestingly, whenever we read the Bible, Satan is under God's authority. Satan is under God's authority. God is still ruling and reigning even over Satan. But what we see in the Bible, especially in the book of Job, is that God gives Satan a leash to attack his people. Satan has some freedom under God's authority to attack God's people. In Job's case, it was to test him. Oh God, look at Job. He says he loves you. But he only loves you because you've been good to him. He'll curse you if I harm him. And the Lord says, go ahead then. You can harm him, but, but here's as far as you can go. Here are the things you can do. Here's the things you can't do. And Satan, he goes and he, he harms Job. 
But it's interesting, isn't it? Because if you like, God gives Satan just enough rope to hang himself because Job doesn't turn away from God. Again, we see it in the life of Jesus, don't we? There he is in the desert all alone. He's been fasting for 40 days and the father says, okay, go ahead. Go and tempt my son if you want. And again, God gives him enough rope to hang himself because Satan cannot get Jesus to bow down to him or obey him. We see it on the cross. Satan's hand in the death of Jesus Christ. And again, you can imagine Satan rubbing his hands thinking, I've got him now. But again, God's plan was for Jesus to die on the cross and rise from the dead victorious over Satan. We may be suffering because the enemy is against us and causing trouble in our life and causing pain and suffering and grief. But just so you know, that's always under the authority of God. Another reason then we might be suffering is for our own spiritual growth. We might be suffering to grow as Christians. It's interesting, isn't it? I love this passage. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. God says our suffering produces character in us. It builds us in our faith. It gives us experience that we can then use to minister to others. Suffering could be given to us for our own spiritual growth. Whenever I first started as an assistant minister at Hamilton Road, it was my first time really getting alongside people who were suffering. And you know what I expected? I expected suffering people to be faltering in their faith. I met some people who were going through some really hard things and I expected them to be kind of turning away from God. I expected their faith to be falling apart as their world did. But amazingly, it was the complete opposite. In the crucible of suffering, their faith was refined and strengthened and built. It was in the experience of suffering that they saw who God really was and that they saw that he wasn't an academic subject but was a living God who actually walked beside them and life was hard. In the Bible, we see that sometimes suffering might be to build us in our faith for our own spiritual growth. And there are many other reasons in the Bible we see that suffering might be the case. And there's a brilliant essay by a man called Derek Thomas. It's online, if you look at it, Derek Thomas, The Theology of Suffering. He he just goes through it in such depth, it's wonderful. Go and look that up if you wanna know more reasons. But if you notice through what I was saying there, I kept saying might be. It might be because of this, it might be because of this, it might be because of this. And the reason why I've said might be It's because God never tells people why they're suffering. Why, Lord, am I going through this? Have you ever got an answer to that in the moment? No. There was Job, a righteous man who loved God, who who had no kind of sin of note in his life. And all of this terrible stuff happens to him. And his friends come along and they're useless counselors and useless friends because they say, Job, you must have done something wrong to make God mad with you. And he says, I haven't. And he gets to the end and he stands before God. And you know what God does? God does not give him an answer. In Job chapter one, we get the behind the curtain look at the conversation that went on between Satan and God, we get that look, but Job never gets it. Job never gets the answer to why he was suffering. And I think there is something important that we learn from this. And it's that God is less interested in giving us the answer for suffering. He's more interested in giving us the resources for coping with it. God does not want us to spend our lives scratching our head trying to figure out the reason for our suffering. No, what he wants us to do instead is to run to him. 
He wants to give us the blessing of knowing how to deal with it. There are a number of things I just want to say about dealing with suffering. And these are all things that we see in the Bible. How should we respond to suffering as Christians? Again, it's not an exhaustive list, but I think some of these things, if we can grasp tonight, will help us when we suffer. The first thing we need to know is that God gives us permission to weep and to grieve and to wonder why. I love that in the scriptures. You open up the Psalms and the Psalms are filled with suffering people and they're crying about their suffering and they're asking God why. Even the Lord Jesus on the cross asked why, didn't he? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God is so good because he's not like Allah. He doesn't say just have a step up or lip and get on with it. Be stoic. Just accept it as my will. No, he says, I understand this is painful and you're allowed to weep and you're allowed to grieve and you're allowed to wonder why. He gives us that permission. Tonight, if you're suffering, please know you have that permission. You have permission to, to grieve and weep and ask why. He also gives us permission to see that suffering is wrong as something that ought not to be. You see, suffering was not God's original plan. It wasn't his intention to make a world where we suffer. But when sin came into the world, that's when suffering came in. And what God tells us in the Bible is that there is something wrong with suffering. Whenever we see people suffer and we think that's not right, that's a right reaction. It's not right. Death is an enemy. Suffering is something that is not right. And it's okay to, to say that something is evil. It's okay to say that something is wrong when you see it. Suffering is not right and we have permission to say that. God also, in response to suffering, invites us to turn to him. And what I love about God is that he fully understands all of the suffering we go through. If you go back in time and look at the, the stories of the different gods, you had the Greek gods who were distant and far away. You have the, the Hindu gods who are really disinterested in you. All they want are your offerings and sacrifices. Even Allah, the God of Islam, is not a God who understands suffering. He is immutable. He feels nothing. But our God understands suffering. He understands what you go through. Because our God came down. God the Son, the eternal God the Son, who was with the Father and the Spirit at the beginning of creation, took on flesh. When you pinched him, it hurt. He lived in this world and he, he understands all of the suffering that we face as humans. He's seen it up close and personal. He's experienced it. And on the cross, he experienced the most awful suffering that anyone's ever gone through. That's the God who invites you to come to him with your pain. A God who is not distant and, and far off, but a God who understands. A God who suffers with you. A God who suffered for you. He invites you to come to him with your pain and your suffering. And he doesn't just invite you to come to him, but, but he, he calls you to trust him. He calls you to trust him as you suffer. To trust that he loves you. I, I, know, I don't know about you, but, but I think whenever we go through suffering, one of the questions we can ask is, does God really love me? I mean, he's, he's letting me go through this. Does he really love me? If he loved me, would he, would he let me face this situation? Would he let me go through this pain and suffering? Again, the answer is yes. The Bible is, is just completely solid in this. There is not a question about it. God loves you. And again, the marker of that is the cross. 
And he invites you to trust him because even in the midst of your suffering, and again, this is the the wonderful answers of, of the Bible, is that even in the midst of your suffering, God is working out a plan. What's the plan, Marty? I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what the plan is for your suffering. But what I do know is that he is working out his plan. All things, he says, all things, including suffering, work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We all scratch our heads. God, what what could you possibly be planning through this suffering? We, We look at the suffering in our world and we scratch our heads. We can't understand what God's plan is. But God says, will will you trust me? Will you trust me? Do you remember my son Jesus? Let me ask you this. If you had seen him hanging on the cross, would you have understood the plan? If you had seen him getting beaten and mocked and bruised, would you have understood that, that I had a plan for this? When you see him being rejected by the religious leaders, when you saw his disciples flee and leave him on his own, all isolated, would you have believed that I had a plan for this? But then we look on the other side at the resurrection and we say, God had a plan. Whenever you go through suffering, God invites you to trust him. Not with eyes that you see, but with eyes of faith, knowing that he is a God who is working out his plan in the world. The other thing that God gives us that no one else does is assurance that one day all suffering will end. I love that passage in Revelation about the new creation. By the way, one of our questions in this series is how will the world end? So we are going to cover this in a bit more detail. But God tells us in the scriptures one day, one day it will be Eden restored. One day the world will be back as it was meant to be. No more crying, no more death, no more pain, no more sickness. So even as we look at this broken world, we've hope. Hope that this is not the way it's always going to be. There's one more thing that God tells us in suffering that's not on the slides, and it's this. God also gives us one another. Tonight, We're a church family. And families are meant to help each other. Whenever one part of the body suffers, the Bible says it all suffers. The Bible also says that we're to bear one another's burdens. Perhaps the greatest gift that God has given us in the midst of our suffering is one another. And I really want to encourage you tonight not to go through suffering alone. Not to be a stoic. Not to say, I can do this. Not to put on a stiff upper lip. But to share your burdens with one another. Share them. It is the greatest gift, perhaps, that God has given us in our suffering. I just want to recommend a couple of books um, that might be helpful for you as you think about this. And then we're going to watch a little video which ties in with one of the books. Two books that I want to recommend... um, one is called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And it's a book by Tim Keller, who's a retired pastor who was in New York City. The first half of the book looks at a lot of the kind of theory behind suffering. It looks at the different world religions. It looks at the Bible's approach to suffering. It talks about how God can be sovereign and allow suffering and, and that stuff about Satan. All of that stuff, Tim Keller does a great work with in the first half of this book. But then when you get to the second half, It's all about how to walk with God in the midst of suffering. Uh, This is a book for someone who likes to read. It's pretty heavy at times, but it's a great read if you want to look more at suffering in that type of way. A second book then that I want to recommend is actually written for women, and it's designed for women with this lovely floral pattern. But this is actually a great book for anybody. It's a book called Hope When It Hurts, and it's written by two women, and we're going to see their story in just a minute. And what it is, is it's 30 very short reflections. So sort of two to three pages talking about an aspect of suffering. And then it's got some questions which help you think about this for your own life and your own suffering. And then it's got things that you can journal and pray for. 
And I would really encourage this. If you're going through suffering and you want to think through what God might be doing in it, how you can deal with it, this is the book to get. Hope when it hurts. And uh, you'll especially like it if you are a woman because it is beautiful to look at and it's got flowers and stuff inside, but it really is helpful for anybody. We're going to watch a video now which tells us the story of the two women who wrote this book. And then after that, we're going to stand together and sing again. Before I started feeling my symptoms, I wanted to perform on stage. I wanted to sing and act and dance. I started experiencing a lot of physical pain that was new and increasing by the day. Um, couldn't climb the subway stairs to get to my jobs. I knew that something wasn't right. We got the call from the nurse about two weeks later, confirming that I did in fact have Lyme disease. Um, very quickly, these dreams were slipping away. When my son was about eight months old, um, we first started to notice uh, he was starting to exhibit some kind of some odd behaviors. Um, and then he started throwing these tantrums, these extreme violent tantrums that would last sometimes an hour, sometimes two. Um, we were starting to have to restrain him, um, lock him in his room just to keep him safe and the rest of us safe. And then um, really in the last year and a half is when we started noticing the other three children showing signs of sickness themselves, but in different ways, physical illness, short-term memory issues. Uh, and this is really the journey that led us to realizing that the illness that I had had most of my life that I didn't know I was carrying, and that I had passed it on to each one of my kids. So this might sound cliche, but I am learning to trust God. This whole diagnosis, the, the chronic pain, the fatigue, the weakness has taught me that God's grace is indeed sufficient for me because His power is made perfect in my weakness. He is our Savior who knows pain more than we even do. He, he died the most painful death we could have ever experienced so that this pain you're experiencing right now wouldn't be the end. He came to redeem this pain. He came to give it hope, to give life back to what's been lost. We wrote this book for you, for the person who's hurting. Maybe it's the diagnosis or the accident. It just hits. And we wrote this for you in the midst of the pain because God's word has been a balm to our souls in the pain. We want you to know that same comfort. We want you to be in the word, rooted there, drawing life and hope from the only giver of hope. So we don't have to come with ourselves all neat and tidy, pulled together. We come with the hope that he will help us trust him, even with the pain and even with the struggles and the questions and the things we can't make sense of. This has been 10 years of constant struggle and it's felt like being in the trenches for 10 years. and. I found a lot of sweet treasure in the trenches, and I'm thankful for that. This place that you're in, is, it's, it's good, and you can bring it to Him and, and say to Him, I don't have what I need right now to keep going, uh, but you do. Um, come to Him. He has what you need. Um, thinking about bearing one another's burdens, then very quickly, I'm just going to run through some of the things that I have learned or I'm learning about caring for people who are suffering. Um, within this room, you, some of you here have a wealth of experience in this. Some of you have walked with people through the most difficult things in life. And so if you have wisdom to share in this, and how we can help each other. Maybe in the question and answer session, you could share some of the wisdom you have if there are certain things that are not covered here. But very quickly, um, helping people who are suffering, the first and the main thing is be there. Very simple, be there. Be there for people when they're going through hard times. Visit them, not right now, because of coronavirus maybe, but, but maybe you could. But, but in normal circumstances, go and visit someone if you know they're struggling. If you can't visit them, give them a phone call, ring them up. 
Send them a text, send them a card, write them a letter, send them a gift, but show that you're there for them. Whenever we go through suffering, it can feel like the most lonely time in the world. Be there for people. That's the first thing. Show up, be there. The second thing then is to to listen to the person who is suffering when they're talking to you and to acknowledge their pain. Be slow to speak, the Bible says, and quick to listen. And, And this is one of the things that we must really take on board when someone is suffering. We're to listen and to listen and to listen and to listen and we're to acknowledge their pain. We're to acknowledge what they're going through. Whatever they're saying to us, we must acknowledge that and reflect it back so that they get that we are getting what they're saying. Listen and acknowledge someone's pain. So that's the second thing. A third thing then is is give practical help. If you can do something practical when someone's suffering, do it. Bring someone a meal. Look after their kids for an hour or two to give them a bit of space. If you can practically help someone when they're suffering, do it. Um, Do you know one of the best ways to work out what to do is if you speak to the suffering person and say, is there something I can do practically to help you? Now, some people will just say, no, I don't need any help. If they say no, they don't need any help, don't try to then do something. If they say no, just accept it. But if you ask someone who's going through something, if you ask them that question, is there something I can do to practically help you just now? Very often they'll say yes. Is there any chance you could do this? Ask them, don't be afraid to ask that question. A a fourth thing then is, do not say things you don't mean. There are two things that people say very often when someone is suffering that sadly they don't mean sometimes. The first thing people can say is, I'll pray for you. It's such a nice Christian cliche, isn't it? We like to say that. I'll pray for you. Please do not say that unless you're actually going to pray for that person. God is a God who can change lives. God is a God who knows what they're going through. God is a God who can help them. And one of the most amazing things that we can do, we might not be able to help them, but God can. One of the most powerful things we can do when someone is suffering is to pray for them. But please don't say to someone, I'm gonna be praying for you if you're not. Another thing to avoid saying is this, I understand what you're going through. You don't. You might have gone through something similar, but how you experience that thing is not how this individual is experiencing it. Don't say to them, I understand what you're going through. Say the opposite. I can't imagine what you're going through. One of the problems whenever we think we understand what someone is going through is that we think about our experience and then we tell them what worked for us and what we did. And that might be helpful down the line, but you see in the the beginning stages of someone suffering, if you say, here's what I went through, what it does is it makes them feel guilty. It makes them feel like they should be listening to you. So simply don't say, I understand what you're going through. Say, "I, I can't imagine what you're facing. Tell me more about it. And again, listen. Another thing not to say that isn't true is just everything's going to be okay. You'll be fine. Time's a great healer. Time does not heal everything. Sometimes people go through stuff and it is never okay this side of eternity. Sometimes people go through things that are so dramatic and so painful that they live with that pain every day of their life until they die. Don't give glib answers. Time's a great healer. You'll be okay someday. They might not, so be careful what you say. That's some don'ts, but what about do's? Do read the Bible with the person. Do find a part of the Bible that maybe speaks to their suffering or maybe that they could do with hearing in this moment in time. Something that points them to the love and the comfort of God. And do read that to them. Again, how do you do this in practice? You say, would you like me or could I read something from the Bible for you? And again, they might say no. If they say no, don't force it. 
But if they say yes, then open up the scriptures and, and read it to them. And listen, you don't need to give them a sermon. God speaks for himself through the scriptures. Just read it and let God speak through the passage. Do open up the Bible. Do pray. Do pray for someone that you're with. And again, ask them, can I pray for you just now? Would you like me to pray for you just now? And if they say yes, pray for them. And if they say no again, don't force it. Pray for them privately when you're on your own. Another thing to do, now not right at the start, but if you're walking with someone through suffering and it's going to be a long journey, talk about meaningless things sometimes. Talk about what's going on in your family. Talk about what's going on in church. Talk about the football. Talk about TV. Be someone who can come in and actually provide a bit of relief that you're not only coming to talk about their suffering, but you're coming to share your life with them. Now be wise in this. But maybe if you're helping someone who's suffering, and, and every time you go, you think, I have to have something profound to say or something to read from the scriptures. Maybe sometimes you do, but, but see just being there and helping them remember normal life and involving them in yours, it can be such a relief, such a sense of, of just lighten, enlighten, lighting, lightening the load a little bit. And the last thing is be there. Hang on, Marty, you said that at the start, I did. That, that is the most important thing. When someone goes through suffering, it is your presence that means more to them than anything else. More than anything else, it's to know that you're there. To know that you're with them. To know that you're in it for the long haul. Again, I don't have the book with me, but there's a, a brilliant little book, and it's simply called Being There. And it's a guy called Dave Furman. And Dave Furman is a man who was diagnosed with a disability that has affected his whole life. And he writes this book from the position of someone who has had people come and help him. And it's a brilliant little book just giving some really practical help, uh, really practical guidance on how to help someone whenever they're suffering. But be there. Be there. Be there. Okay, we're going to go for a Q&A because it's much later than I thought it was. Um, so I'll look at my phone here. Um, let's see. Okay, how do we actively come alongside others to support them in suffering in the midst of COVID? Hopefully, those things were helpful. Um, and hopefully, if you can just do some, be there, be practical, support them that way, um, listen to them, pray for them, read the Bible to them. Those things are helpful for anybody. Okay, another question. Do you think that God ever allows suffering as punishment? Like how people thought, maybe some of people who had Jesus had healed suffered with a certain disability because of they or their parents had sinned. So the question is, does God now ever cause suffering as punishment? Um, for his own people, for those of us who are Christians, the answer is no. So, so God, whenever we as God's people, whenever we as Christians experience suffering, it's not because of punishment. Jesus has taken the punishment for our sin. So it cannot be punishment because all of the punishment for all of our sin was placed upon Jesus. What I would say though is that suffering for us as Christians can be discipline. There is a difference though between discipline and suffering. Discipline is given to correct behavior, to correct something that's amiss. So whenever I discipline my children, you know, whenever I go and I, I make Joshua sit on the stairs, I'm not just punishing him, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it to help correct his behavior, to help correct something that has gone wrong. And I'm explaining what's going on in that moment. So sometimes we suffer and it's discipline. The Bible says that God, like a father, disciplines those who he loves but it's not punishment and there's a difference between the two. Punishment is just pain and punishment for, with no corrective response, but discipline is for correction. Another, let's see what else you got. Okay, yeah. yeah. Do you have specific passages you find helpful to read for people who are going through suffering? Just so many of the Psalms. The, the Psalms are just filled with so many 
wonderful passages to go through in their suffering. And I just encourage you to, to read the Psalms for yourself and you'll see passage after passage after passage that you can turn to. Um, but yeah, just loads and loads of Psalms. Psalms are the main, if I've come to see you in your house and you've been suffering, um, it's mainly a Psalm that I'll have turned to. Anything else? There's nothing else by text. all look like you need to go to sleep. I'm sorry that if I have um, bored you to death. <laughs> any, any other questions? Yep. So my my my, my thinking on the why is that if we ever get a why, it's normally in the future. So it's normally we look back and we can see, ah, okay, that, that was the Lord disciplining me there. That was him doing something that was correcting me. Um, I can look back in things in my own life that I've gone through and think, okay, this was to equip me to help people in this certain situation. Um, I look back at certain things and think, okay, that suffering, it was a direct consequence of my sin and that was a disciplinary thing where, cause we, because we're, we live with the consequences of our sin and I think very often if, if we're suffering as a consequence of our sin, that is, that's a good way to know it's, it's discipline. Yeah. Any other questions? Nope. Great, I thought we were gonna get some hard ones, so I'm really pleased not to have. Um, we're gonna then stand together, and I'm gonna pray, and then we'll stand together, and we'll sing our final hymn. <sighs> Almighty God, we really hate suffering, but we thank you that even through it, you can bring good, and you do bring good. Lord, I thank you that even those of us sitting here tonight who have been through so many difficult things, we now in hindsight can look back and see you working out your plan, teaching us and training us, building up our character. But Lord, you also know that tonight there's some of us who sit here in this place and have experienced such deep suffering that we are not okay, that we are deeply scarred. And Lord, I pray for us that, that we would be able to turn to you and to trust you and that we would know you to be a very present help in our time of pain and suffering. Father, I pray for each of us that whenever we see suffering in our world, that you would encourage us to do all we can to alleviate it and to help in it. And Lord, help us most of all to bear one another's burdens. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.